0: Hey folks, Shag here. Today's episode of the Firewater Podcast is going to be different than usual. You probably guessed that with no opening music or fanfare. Today we'll be paying tribute to a friend of the show who passed away just a few weeks ago. His name was Sean Engel. Now this episode's going out on December 27th and will be the final episode of the show for 2015. It's that week between Christmas and New Year's. You know, it's it's the time for reflection on the year that's coming to a close while you're getting ready for the next year. Looking back at 2015, it was a really great year for the Firewater Podcast Network. Just to name a few things, we finished the first leg of our Who's Who journey, we added Rob's new show about movies, the Film and Water Podcast, and I had the opportunity to travel the country and meet dozens of listeners of the show, many of whom have appeared on the show for the first time this year. If you're new to the Firewater Podcast, the thing we are proudest of is the community of friends that have sprung up around the show. Collectively, we call this group of folks Nuclear Subs. These are some of the greatest people. They're incredibly creative, they're intelligent, they're funny, they're they're just plain nice. While 2015's been a great year for the Nuclear Sub community, we've also suffered some losses. In previous episodes, we've talked about the passing of our friend David Sopko, back in November. I'm not going to revisit all the details again, but suffice to say, he was a vital part of the Nuclear Sub family, and he will be missed. Now the Nuclear Sub community has been dealt another blow. To be fair, the entire podcasting community has been dealt a terrible blow with the passing of Sean Engel. You might know Sean from any number of podcasts, most of which appear on the Two True Freaks podcast network, including Just One of the Guys, Listen to the Prophets, Who True Freaks, it's a podcast I'm part of too, Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and Walking Dead Wednesdays. In fact, the Two True Freaks guys released a very touching tribute episode to Sean back on December 18th on many of the show's feeds. You should give it a listen. And to mention another of Sean's shows, Parallel Lines, a DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast he recorded with Michael Bradley in addition to all those regular shows that Sean hosted, he also had tons of guest appearances all over the podcast community. <laughs> Alright, if it's not obvious, folks, yes, I am reading from a script. Um, that's the only way I'm going to make it through this and uh, keep any sense of composure, so I apologize. Sean Engel was a great guy. I think everyone in the podcasting community will agree with me. He was incredibly kind, he was generous with his time and attention, and always managed to look on the positive side of a situation. His warmth was inspiring and you always felt a little bit better after talking with him. He really was what you'd call a podcasting luminary. That list of shows I just shared, it doesn't do justice to his contribution to the geeky podcasting community. For me personally, I worked closest with him on the Who True Freaks podcast over on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. On that show, Sean was our fearless leader and chief cat wrangler. I did some quick math, and Sean and I spent something like 50 hours over Skype chatting, whether it was recording a podcast or after-the-show chit-chat. I was also fortunate enough to meet Sean face-to-face a few months ago, which you're going to hear in just a few minutes. Now, those after-the-show chit-chats with Sean were some of my favorites. He was such a warm and approachable guy. Our off-air discussions were usually about real life. We spent quite a bit of time talking about parenting and the related challenges. It was really nice to make a connection beyond just our overlapping geeky interests. While I consider Sean a friend, there are many in the podcasting community who are much closer to him. Just to name a few friends of this show, Paul Spitaro, Andrew Leyland, Thomas DJ, Michael Bradley, Bill Robinson, Chris Honeywell, Scott Gardner, Chris Tyler, Luke Giaconetti, and many, many others I'm forgetting. Folks, I'm sorry for that. My heart goes out to these folks. The night we heard about Sean's passing, I spent some time chatting and grieving with some of them on Skype. It, It felt really good to be with Sean's friends during that time. Most importantly, my heart goes out to Sean's wife and children. Sean was one of the good guys. He was a wonderful friend, and I can only imagine he was a wonderful father. Please keep Sean's family in your thoughts during this difficult time. Just to give you some background on Sean's passing, on October 20th, Sean was admitted to Mercy Hospital ICU with severe stomach pain, which turned out to be a bad case of pancreatitis. He spent a month in ICU, and eventually he went home. um, That was around December 6th when we heard from him at home. And he was on the road to recovery. He said it was going to go slowly, but he was going to get better. And then we heard on December 16th that he had passed away. I visited with Sean back in October in his hometown of Oklahoma City. I was in town for business, and Sean met me at the airport. We went for dinner, and then we chatted over coffee late into the night. We talked about a zillion different things. When we finally started recording, we had a fun conversation about our mutual passion for Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern. Now, if you don't know Sean's podcast, his one, Just One of the Guys, that was actually celebrated the Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. If you're a fan of those characters, you definitely should check it out. We recorded that audio on Tuesday, October 13th. One week later, Sean was in the hospital. So I've been holding on to this audio with the intention of releasing it when Sean had recovered. Once Sean passed, I knew I wanted to do something with the recording, but I just wasn't sure what. I spoke with my co-host, Rob Kelly, and he and I agreed that sharing this audio on the last episode of the year was a good way to reflect on 2015. It feels like an appropriate way to remember our friend. You're going to hear two different recording sessions. The first is a brief recording with Sean and Rob. This comes from Just One of the Guys, episode 126. It was released back in August 2014. In this episode, Rob and Sean discuss a fun team-up story featuring both the Kyle Reiner Green Lantern and Aquaman. The story comes from the 1999 comic book Green Lantern, 80-Page Giant number 2. After that, you'll hear the discussion between Sean and I from October. It runs about 50 minutes. Uh, I left in the opening banter before we got rolling. Sean and I were discussing the, the various apps we use to record on phones. Mostly I'm leaving in because Sean calls me a jackhole. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, folks. Whether you're a regular listener of this show, or you found your way here because of Sean Engel, either way, please take a moment to remember Sean and keep his family in your thoughts. Sean Engel was a great guy, and he will be missed. In
1: brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship
0: evil light beware my power. Green Light
1: And the first character that he's teaming up with is Aquaman. And if you know anyone who knows Aquaman more than this person, then you know someone who knows more than Aquaman.
2: <laughs> who is that person? <laughs> I have no idea who
1: that person is. He is, the, he is the person who is running the Aquaman Shrine. He is also the co-host with the Irredeemable Shag of the Who's Who, the Fire and Water, and uh, various other podcasts over at the Fire and Water podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very proud to have on the show Mr. Rob Kelly. Hey, Rob.
2: Hey, Sean. Thanks for that buildup, man. That was quite an intro. Thank you. Well,
1: I... I you you definitely deserve it. Like I said, like we were talking before, we came on the show. I really enjoy the Fire and Water podcast, and I especially enjoy the Who's Who podcast. It, <laughs> it amazes me that you initially thought Who's Who probably wouldn't be the big thing in there, but the, I think the nostalgia factor just draws people into the show.
2: Yeah, I freely admit I was completely wrong. I told Shag that no one would listen to that particular spinoff show, and I was totally, totally wrong. I admit that up front.
1: Well, I, I'm, I've am i been enjoying it incredibly, and I'm really glad that I get to talking to you because I was thinking to myself, when am I ever going to be able to talk Green Lantern to Aquaman? And this just popped up in, in the rotation of what I was going to be doing, and I thought I have to tap Rob Kelly, and it just kind of expanded it from there and
2: <laughs> that uh, sense has never been said before
1: I, well, <laughs> I need to get rob kelly on this immediately yeah
2: well.
1: <laughs> but um yeah i appreciate you coming on and we're going to be taking a look at the first story in this 80 uh, page giant it's a green lantern and aquaman story called phases uh it was written by christopher priest uh penciled by md bright inked by greg adams the colorist was mike danza and the letterer for the story was albert guzman and it goes with a synopsis kind of like this. Darting through the murky depths of the ocean, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and King of the Seven Seas Aquaman share some bro-chatter about their respective girl problems. Suddenly, the ruler of Atlantis pulls Kyle to an abrupt halt as they reach their destination, a kilometer-long wall that descends into the ocean farther than Aquaman can see. Prior to all of this, the JLA were notified about a missing French nuclear sub, and while Achman was searching for it, he came across this odd alien barrier. The two dive deeper into the ocean and try to discover the wall's origin, but at the seven-mile mark, Kyle starts to lose concentration, making him have to stop for a breather, metaphorically speaking. But as Kyle rests his hand on the wall, the strange energy engulfs the heroes, sucking them through the wall into a strange civilization. Plus, it ages Kyle while de-aging Arthur because, you know, science. The two find the missing sub, and Aquaman does some Frenching with the trapped seamen. Uh, I mean, sorry, <laughs> talking French with the guys in the sub, until eventually, a GL is able to pull the sub and Aquaman back into the regular ocean, where the properly aged Arthur pimp-slaps Kyle back into consciousness before he could be crushed by the pressure of being seven miles down without ring constructs to protect him. Crisis averted, the duo drag the sub back to the surface, while Kyle awkwardly asks Aquaman to do that French thing again, which is disturbing but that's the synopsis for this what what do you have to say about this uh story
2: rob uh well first of all i have to thank you for introducing me to this story because i did not know this story existed this is completely new to me um i like to think that i have like i am at least i have not read every single aquaman comic that's ever been printed and there's where he's been in everything but i like to think i'm aware of them all but this one i was totally just like what is this a thing i didn't know that uh, the nineties and early two thousands is like my sort of dead zone in terms of like how little I know about the, what went on in comics at that time. And this era of Aquaman, the hook for hand is my least favorite era of Aquaman, as I've mentioned a bunch of times. So like this story was completely new to me and it was, it was, it was just fun reading like, you know, what is it to me? An all new Aquaman story, even though it's a 20 year old comic at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's very simple I like that it's just straightforward, of just just two guys on a mission. Um, I liked the banter of Aquaman and the younger members uh, of the JLA back when, like when you know, this was in the JLA era with when Grant Morrison was writing the book. So you had Flash and Green Lantern being the new heroes, the new guys, and I appreciate. I, I like the dynamic that they created of the old, the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Manhunter being the older hands sort of talking down to the young guys i thought that was a fun new third generation way of of doing these these characters and it continues on here and uh yeah no i enjoyed it quite a bit
1: yeah i'll I'll agree with you i do like the aspect of uh the older members of the justice league you know sort of being the mentors for the newer uh the newer characters like kyle and uh wally as the flash um I think Christopher Priest is a, a good story. The one thing that I've got, and it's unfortunately sort of the nature of the beast with these 80 page giants, the stories are these little, you know, 10, 11 page stories, so you don't get much character development. But I think Christopher Priest does a pretty good job of, you know, writing the dialogue with T.Here's banner back and forth between Kyle and Arthur, and it works pretty well. I also. want to comment a bit on the art i really am a big fan of md bright and i think he does a good he does a good job drawing the characters here but i think he's kind of uh, there's kind of a disservice with greg adams doing here I always preferred M.D. Bright when he was inked by Romy Tangal, which was uh, around the era of the early Green Lantern, uh, third generation or the third edition in the story where uh, Gerard Jones was writing him in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. I thought that was some some really good artwork here. It, the artwork's not bad, but I think M.D. Bright would be served with, uh, with a better anchor. I'm not saying negative things about Adams, but uh, the artwork's just could be better for me. Like I said, the nature of the eighty-page the eighty-page giants means you get small compressed stories. But the dialogue between the two characters was really good. I mean, I think the only negative thing I could say about it was the whole. It felt it felt kind of like Christopher Priest had an idea of them going and exploring this, and he said, "Okay, that's it." And they said, "Well, that's not quite enough pages. Uh, let's do something more." Okay. Well, then Aquaman and Green Lantern change ages. Okay, well, uh, that's another page. Uh, what have we got? Uh, okay, Aquaman can't breathe in this atmosphere. Uh, okay, that's good. I think we've finished it up. So <laughs> it, it felt like they were kind of building on stuff, and uh, that would be the only real negative thing about it. But overall, yeah, I really enjoyed this, and I'm glad that you were able to come on and uh, talk to me about this. Uh, and I'm glad that I was able to kind of... Uh, you know, bring you into reading a, a brand new uh, Aquaman comic that, you know, sadly is you know twenty years old by now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it always feels like a, it always feels like I discovered a you know lost treasure, finding a an Aquaman story I've never read before.
1: But again, thanks, Rob, for coming on the show, and I really appreciate getting to sh- the chance to talk to you. Thanks, John. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Might. beware my power green light.
0: testing one two three testing testing
1: all right. see here big no. red
0: record button right there buddy all right shut up oh you have a little needle yes, see i've got a needle see i've got levels see, see look, i've see. got
1: input gain here so i'll turn the input gain up Oh wow! Hopefully that
0: oh, you're, you're turning it down, but okay. Okay,
1: now hopefully that'll be picking up everything. Yeah,
0: so. we're almost to the red. That's perfect. I don't have fancy things like
1: that. I get, I'll get the new iPhone jackal.
0: We have the same phone, don't we?
1: Uh, is this the six? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell? Or is this yeah. the 6S or no, whatever? I, I didn't. I'm not gonna pay the well, extra. Exactly. I don't whatever, have two hundred dollars for it to have a you know processor that accelerate at like half a millisecond. Whatever. Or nothing.
0: So we're in the same boat then, so Yes. All right. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. The official podcast of Aquaman Shrine and FirestormFan.com. I am the Little Shag, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sean Engel. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: not as always, I guess. I'm glad to be here, Shag. We're actually we're actually face-to-face, face, which is as creepy as it would
0: sound. He looks nothing like I pictured. Yeah, I, I, I've i got hair. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing. Like, your picture on Facebook? you, you Here you have, like, floopy hair, you know, like, real well, hair. Well, to, to be
1: honest, if I didn't do this with my hair, because this is all styled. Crap.
0: If I, he made if, himself pretty for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, I like to dress up whenever I meet people on online. But no, uh, to to be honest, I've got uh, I basically have the. Uh,
0: I'm moving the recording devices to get to the sugar. Sorry guys.
1: I've got I've got basically the Jackson Five hair. If I if I wash this and yeah. dry it, I look like I look like the sixth member of the Jackson Five. I've got ridiculously curly hair, so I have to brush it and flat iron it, or ever or I look like flat iron. Um, Yes. Should, should I basically, you know, put on a dress and a tutu right now, essentially? I'm,
0: I'm, I'm there with you, buddy. Okay. <laughs> I might even tell you you're hot. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's all I need. So, I have to tell you, it's been a different experience since we got to Oklahoma City. So far, Sean has taken us on a merry chase through the streets. We got shot at twice. I thought once would be enough. Twice was right. We went to an awesome taco place. What was it called? It's called Big Truck
1: Tacos. If you come to Oklahoma City, look for Big Truck Tacos. They've been on... I know they were on the Food Network or something, that incredible taco or incredible uh, truck race or something like that. They're they're a really good place. Great tacos, nice atmosphere, kind of bohemian. But, you know, if you can overlook that, then it's a fun place to go.
0: I like Portland, so that that place is, like, right up my alley. And uh, now we're sitting in a Denny's. We're drinking coffee and tea, and we're talking nerd. So, Sean is wearing an awesome Green Lantern t-shirt based on the Kyle Rayner original costume design.
1: Yes, because obviously, for some reason, Kyle Rayner is my favorite Green Lantern. Well, he's he's one of my favorite Green Lanterns. Obviously, Guy Gardner is my favorite, but Kyle Rayner is the one we're probably going to be talking about a little
0: bit. He's time. my favorite. So. You have your, your your what is that? Is that, that a Kindle here? Is that a kin- Is that a nook? What is, is it's that? a, a What and, and why is that out?
1: Well, it's because I became uh, or I came to the show prepared. I decided that if I'm going to be on the Fire and Water podcast, I need to come with something special. I need to come with an actual in-stock trade recommendation.
2: Whoa!
0: Suck it, Bailey. So I'm impressed. I'm really, really impressed. uh, uh, Most of our guests don't come prepared. I know if I was going to be meeting with the Irredeemable Shag, actually
1: face-to-face, I had to do something to actually sort of uphold the grandeur and majesty of the Fire and Water podcast. So I decided to come with a a trade paperback from In Stock Trades, and my choice this time out was kind of along the lines of Find Your Own Joy. What I've been finding my joy in right now is books that are kind of quirky and off the deep path. So what I picked was the recent edition of Howard the Duck, Trade Paperback Volume Zero, they call it, and it's entitled What the Duck? <laughs> <laughs> so how
0: did it, they you know, get away with that?
1: Uh, well, wait until you hear some of the things they get away with in the, in the actual comic. Okay. the The idea behind the comic is Howard is, of course, stuck in a world that he never created. He's decided to take up a job as a private detective, okay. or, in his in his own words and as he's advertised it, a duck dick.
0: Oh my god! That's it. Wow! And
1: he essentially interacts with a lot of the Marvel universe. He's uh, sharing an office building with the She-Hulk. He's got he's got Spider-Man on his uh, cell phone speed dial, which uh, is which leads to a bunch of incredible jokes, a uh, sort of running gag through the series, where. Howard will call Spider-Man uh, when something is going on and something will happen where well, he'll get taken away or uh, he'll be missing. And Spider-Man will come in at the last second and go, oh, no, it's just like it happened with Uncle Ben. Well, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's incredibly funny and incredibly subversive. The artwork by uh, Joe Camiones is really good. I've been enjoying the story. You know, I picked up the actual issues, but this is traded in stock trades. Uh, you can buy it. Uh, full price, if you want to, for sixteen ninety nine. but if you get it from in-stock trades, the price is $9.85, savings of 42%, it uh, has a crossover, sort of, with uh, Secret Wars, it's got uh, cameos by Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Miss Marvel, uh, let's see, the Fantastic Four is in there. It's just a fun book to read, and it's, it's well-written, it's humorous, and it's just, like I said, fun, and that's what I'm looking for when I'm reading my comics nowadays.
0: That's insoctrades.com, by the way. Your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collections. And I got to tell you, if you can see the joy on Sean's face right now, this is truly a finding your joy moment. He's. Beaming with excitement over this comic it's, book. It,
1: it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, I'm not I've never been a big Marvel fan. You know, I've liked a lot of Marvel stuff. My main comic collecting has been DC, but I've found a lot of fun stuff in Marvel recently. The Howard the Duck thing has done. I've gone to DC and I've picked up the new Batmite stuff. Okay, I've been reading that. that's been a lot of fun as well. Dan Jergens. Dan Jergens has been right. up. And I don't know if you uh, if you've listened, but Dan Jergens actually thanks to you, I have to tell you this: we got an interview. Interview with Dan Jurgens for the uh, Parallel Lines show that we did. You it's, did it's
0: out. I didn't even see. I'm, I'm. I have to admit, I am many, many episodes behind in Parallel Lines because it's my own fault. I keep telling myself because I've never read Superman's Reign, so I keep telling myself I'm going to read Superman's Reign first, and I didn't, and I didn't, and it's been sitting on a, in a shelf right near my 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 bedroom. And then I, I find the caves. And I said, fine. I'm just going to listen to the show because I hate being behind. and I got about five episodes in, and I got mad at myself because I was really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So I decided, I'm like, are you? I'm going to read him now. So now I'm I'm stalled out because I want to read him before I listen. But you got Dan? Yes, we actually got Dan. That was a great interview. He was
1: really, he was really polite. He said a lot of things about, you know, the creation of the universe and everything. And and I have to, you were the one who actually sort of uh, gave me sort of the in with him. And so I have to thank you now for doing that. It was was great for me to talk to him. And it was, I think it was a really good interview. If you guys want to go out and listen to it, that's at Parallel Lines. That's at uh, greatcrypton.com. Go and look for that.
0: You know, I got to meet your co-host, Michael Bradley. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: When you were you went up there with Alan Middleton, and yep. was Emily there? And yep. Oh, yeah.
0: It was, it was huge. We had this huge group of people. Uh, and hopefully by this point, by the time you guys hear this with me and Sean, you will have already heard a segment from there, from my Columbus trip. But it was me, Professor Allen, his daughter Emily, uh, Tom Zoller, J.C. Baranew, who goes by Climation Howell. We had Van Z there, Michael Bradley there. Oh, and Little Russell Verbiage. Oh, nice. So, yeah, because so, there was eight of us. Was, we had a great time. We all hung out. Went to, we ate at uh, Hothead Burritos. went to uh, uh, Pack Rat Comics, which was pretty cool. Nice. See,
1: unfortunately, we're here in Oklahoma City, and it's kind of late, so all the comic book shops are closed. And uh, that's one of the things I've kind of complained about in Oklahoma City. The comic book shops we have here still believe, in some ways, that it's in the 90s, because a lot of their back issue stock is still like, oh, yeah, this is going to sell for a lot. You
0: know, this this uh, issue of Turok Dinosaur Hunter 4 <laughs> <laughs> you haven't really seen a Turok before, have you? Okay, I was going to say, because that, that comic's pretty, you know, specific. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: I was I was, I was, was being facetious. Because I know Professor Allen and everyone you know, the talk about
0: Turok. I, mean, I, I came across a stack of them in uh, a dollar bin in my hometown just the other day. Oh, good lord. There was like, I don't know, six or eight of them all jammed together in the dollar bin. I, I took them all and spread them out and took a picture. And I'm like, hey, everybody. Just, oh, Turok. But that's a good enough segue into the
1: '90s comics, which is kind of what we're here to talk about. Is uh, specifically both of our love for the character
0: Kyle Rayner, slapstick. I oh. oh, Kyle oh. Rayner! I thought oh. we were talking about slapstick. Oh crap! Uh,
1: yeah, well, that's a little out of my, uh, that's a little of my purvey. I, I, I haven't started up the slapstick podcast. But, uh,
0: that would yeah, be if you'd the like to talk best. About it. Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, had that the ring on his finger, did some stuff, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was basically, for, for those of you who don't know...
0: They Andy, all know who Kyle Rayner is. Well, I know you all know who <laughs>
1: Kyle Rayner is, but the, but the the concept behind him was just fascinating for me. The fact that he was not the ultimate you know fearless person, he was actually just some guy who came out of the back of a bar who just happened upon the Guardian of the Universe, the last remaining Guardian of the Universe, and was the one to get the last ring. And the fact that he wasn't the kind of person who was prepared to be... Hey, Green okay. Yeah, actually... You're doing great. Could I get uh, another coffee? Yeah. Thank you. That he wasn't prepared to be the Green Lantern. I mean he wasn't fearless. He wasn't uh, chosen by the ring. Did not he go out back to puke? I think that was kind of it. I think he was, you know, he was partied out Yep. I don't think he no, I don't think he came out to smoke a cigarette, but he okay. did he did find a bum in the alley and the bum kind of played a little part in the issue later on, but that really wasn't all that important. The concept of Green Lantern is always basking me yeah. of The Green Lantern characters have always been these Earth-based characters, unless you look at the whole Green Lantern core. We focus on basically the Earth-based characters. It's because we live on
0: Earth, in case you didn't pick up on that.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes. But the idea of a person being able to do all these amazing things just through his willpower and this sort of, quote-unquote, magic ring has always been a fascinating concept as a hero to me. And the fact that Kyle Rayner was just an average person, it made it all the more interesting to me. A lot of people like to sort of parallel him with the idea of Spider Man
2: for Marvel
1: comics. There are there are a lot of parallels with him. You know, obviously guy who was given great responsibility Guy whose girlfriend dies pretty quickly in the. Oh end.
0: yeah, that's um,
1: true. You know his sort of young devil may care attitude, eventually growing up. He stayed in a lot of hot chicks. Uh, Spider-Man did Black Cat. You know, obviously Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane. Kyle got Jade, and he got uh, Donna, Donna Troy. Troy. Oh,
0: Everybody's, you know, childhood crush. Yeah, and and he, he
1: got some great issues drawn by Terrell Banks, where Donna Troy just looked phenomenal.
0: Yes, she did. Now let's step back and do sort of the real world perspective of it, and what was what had been going on there was Green Lantern it's, and if you've listened to Sean's show just one of the guys you know all this but Green Lantern was extremely successful coming out of the gate with that third volume whatever second volume yeah, whatever it was yeah the third
1: volume where it came.
0: I'm trying to remember if Emerald Dawn came out prior yes, to this one yeah. Emerald Dawn came first then came the Green Lantern series Emerald Dawn 2 came after the series already yeah. started going and the fact was it started strong it got a bunch of spin-offs it got Mosaic it got Quarterly Guy Gardner all this stuff the, the f- started fizzling out yeah, yeah, around the around
1: the '30s or '40s, the yep. issue started kind of, kind of coasting. The stories really weren't going anywhere. We had
0: yep. Jar Jones was spread way too thin. Yeah, well, way he was turn.
1: writing he, he was writing all three of the issues. He was writing yep. Mosaic. He was writing Green Lantern.
0: Yep. And he was writing Guy Gardner. Right. So I he think was. He might, he might have been writing Justice League at that point too. Yeah, I think he somewhere in there he was.
1: I, I, I think it may have still been Dan Jurgens for a while.
0: I think he was right just like Europe. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, But he he was obviously spread out. You know, the stories were getting kind of thin. They tried to revamp it and sort of tie it in with the rest of the universe, doing things with Dark Stars and Legion.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Trinity.
1: And, you know, that really didn't go anywhere. And it finally came to the point where supposedly Jones was going to write this story called Emerald Twilight, which originally was going to be something of how Jordan encountering this disparate group of guardians I believe this huh. separate group of guardians okay. who were going to sort of supplant the regular guardians and there was going to be a sort of schism between the Green Lantern Corps and it was going to involve essentially um, Thomas D.J. has talked about this on okay. the actual show that we did for Green Lantern number 50 and what happened with the idea of Green Lantern and uh, Emerald Twilight. But what actually happened was after the death of Superman and the return of Superman, the reign of Superman, Coast City, which was Hal Jordan's main haunt, right. got blown up real good by Mongol. Oh, yeah. And in the book, Paul Gerard Jones was writing it, it didn't seem like a big thing to Hal after they decided they were going to do this revamp of Emerald Twilight and turn Hal sort of into a villain,
0: right. They
1: decided they brought Ron Mars in and had him write the Emerald Twilight storyline where how made an attempt to gain all ultimate power to try and fix things in Coast City, and it eventually turned with the the return of Sinestro and yep. him trying to gain all the, guard, the green power and all that.
0: So Now, real quick, I'm going to interrupt you. As yeah. I understand it, in the real world, the real driving force behind that was Kevin Dooley, the editor. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I've, I've heard, heard
1: it. it. Yeah, I, I've
0: heard that there was
1: maybe tensions between Gerard Jones and Kevin Dooley and that's why it didn't come out the way that Gerard Jones wanted to as much as I can understand people's distaste for the idea of Hal Jordan turning right the fact that we got Kyle Rayner out of the Animal Twilight story exactly. is, is one of the, the best things that, that could have happened to that. And I look on Kyle Rayner as one of the quintessential characters from the 90s, kind of alongside these legacy characters like Wally West and the Jack Knight star in Tim, and Tim Drake, and Tim Drake as as Robin, and all these new characters that were being brought into the DC universe. It gave the DC universe at a time where where everything was being all imagized to give give DC a, a very unique feel from the other comic companies Kyle Rayner was just one of those characters that I just completely glommed onto and followed all the way through his run
0: and I I came into Green Lantern I had bought some of the core series prior to that but I started with Emerald Dawn and I I was in you know I loved it and I was actually going to quit the Green Lantern book around issue 45 46 there was a Predator story in there Yes. And I just decided I had had enough. I was like, "This is crap. This is terrible." And then I heard about how how it was you know the changes they're going to make. I'm like, well, I'll stick out a few more issues. And I was thrilled to introduce Kyle because I mean, I, it, you know, in the early '90s, I was in my early 20s, and I loved the DC characters. But I, you know, I, I, I wasn't there for Al's first appearance. I wasn't there for you know for Barry's first appearance. So being able to get in on Kyle on the ground floor, being there when Wally was first taking you know becoming the Flash, being there when Tim Drake first became Robin, when Bart Allen appeared as Impulse. I mean, all these different new characters. They were really DC was really focused on the legacy at this point. I glom, I probably unfairly glommed onto Kyle at first, like because I I was just so excited, mm-hmm. you know. But then I immediately fell in love with the character too. Yes, great character Very good. I love the whole idea of him being an artist I don't really remember them putting a lot of effort into the whole idea of the constructs prior to that no. and you know and nowadays they, they, you know you talk about John's the architect guy's got energy crackling out of his ring and how does this you know but Kyle was the first one that really I felt like, focused on you know he, designing really outlandish constructs and I loved it it was great
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and that really played into the
1: book you know Kyle Kyle would have this sort of abstract style he would have and you could see influence of that that would originate with Kyle. The the sort of influence of uh, anime and manga yeah. a lot of times he'd have um, and this is shout out to Luke Jackman he'd, he'd have Japanese giant monsters uh, <laughs> as constructs he That's would right. have Godzilla attacking people you know when he needed to bring up a uh, suit to take on some big bad villain he'd bring up some sort of giant Gundam mobile suit thing going on so it took away from I'm certain Kevin Dooley had this idea of oh we want to get away from the boxing gloves
0: <laughs> right.
2: and yes. you know, spheres and Very stuff much. like that
1: but they did it in a unique way that that cemented Kyle as a different character from the various Green Lanterns we've seen before, and it enhanced the character of Green Lantern and you know was different than it was before. And, uh,
0: and right. for ev- for everyone that's upset and feel like you know they ruined Hal Jordan by making him a villain, and all this you got to remember later on. You know, I, I guess it was about forty or fifty issues into the run. Hal came back, in. they brought the youthful Hal. There was, it was a time travel thing, because, you know, because comics. And I, I'd, li- I'd still like to know who originated that expression, by the way. I'm
1: going gonna, I'm gonna to think it's Bailey.
0: You think it's Bailey? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty
1: certain it's Bailey.
0: I, I usually credit you.
1: Uh, it might
0: be me, but I,
1: I, I want to put it to Bailey. Okay. Well, I don't want Bailey give... originated everything. In I,
0: I don't want to give Bailey that. any credit for anything, though. Well, there you go. Then. But anyway, so Hal's young Hal from the past is in like six issues or so with Kyle, and it's great, and they show a lot of respect for Hal in those issues. And it's you know it just shows you that Ron Marsh could write a good Hal story. He just was told to make Hal the villain. Mm-hmm. So well, there are many times that Hal came back. There was a
1: two issue uh, story arc in Green Lantern, I think around the sixties, like maybe sixty four to sixty five, called Parallax View, right. where uh, Hal came back as a Parallax to sort of torment uh, Kyle, and uh, it required the Justice League at the time, and it was. It was sort of pre worse and JLA. Okay. But it was Superman and Green Arrow and I think Hawkman and... I don't think Martian Manhunter was in there, but it was... Yeah.
0: if it was okay. Wonder Woman, Hawkman, probably Guy and Vondarian yeah. Guy, um, Nuclon, Obsidian, Metamorpho, yeah. that terrible, awful yeah. era of Justice League. But
1: the, the characters who actually came to take on uh, Parallax during that time mm-hmm. were, were essentially what you'd think of as the... Kind of the Magnificent Seven Like. okay, and it was a really good storyline. I, I never thought that Ron Mars actually disliked how. Right. I think he had an incredible amount of respect. and The storyline you're talking about was oh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was it was issues like 100 through it was in, 106. It was
0: something like that. It was either right before 100 or right after 100. One I, the I other think ones. it was
1: called. It might have been called Emerald Knights. Mm, sounds I'm, good. If I'm, try, if I'm trying to remember, but it was it was a great story. Basically. Prior to that, uh, Kyle had gone, been transported to the future because of Graven, which is this. Just, just,
0: just say because comics
1: yeah just because comics <laughs> he's transported in the future and he had this interaction with the uh, Legion of Superheroes which was fun now granted it was Legion of Superheroes where they had all the different code names so it wasn't like oh. Lightning Lass wow. and Shadow Lass and you know this. So they had like uh,
0: Emerald Dragon and yeah, all
1: that okay. um, all these good but it was a great story and it was really good art again by Daryl Banks who is synonymous with Green Lantern in the 90s he's great and then you had that story where Hal comes back and he's the young Hal and he's having to realize what he did, what his future self did. Yeah, what he's going to do. And he makes the decision that he is not going to do this. And in the end, Parallax from the future comes back, but it's parallax prior to zero hour and it's all tiny whiny stuff. <laughs> but it's just it's just really fun. And again, I, I people would say that Ron Morris had no respect for Hal and wanted to do negative things from Hal simply because of their idea of, of Emerald Twilight and how he was handled there. That, I think, was more edict from editorial than, yep. than Ron Mars himself because he was always very favorable when Hal was in the book. Very yeah. polite.
0: And, and it's funny. I didn't think about this until you said it. We talked about how 90s the series was. You know, Kyle lived over a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. which is such a 90s, you know, friends, central perk kind of thing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, when he started, it was going to be really crude, when he started dating Donna Troy, that's not what I was going to say. But anyway, I mean, I was just I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. So, well, who didn't have a crush on Donna Troy? Come on. Well, and a lot of people have this comment
1: that Kyle Rayner was this new kid, was the new kid in town who comes in. And he's the, the hot young stud who gets all the hot girls in the yeah. race first. of all he gets Donna Troy yep. you know after you know his girlfriend gets uh, stuck in a refrigerator. True
0: that. And then you
1: know he gets after he breaks up with Donna Troy because John Byrne wanted to mess around with her until Oh, he Wonder one Right. Uh you know. Uh, uh. I don't. I don't want to speak ill of John Byrne, but uh, and I haven't read those Wonder Woman issues, but I've heard from many people that things were difficult with Donna Troy at the time. Well, all
0: right, I, I've read. I read them okay. as they're coming out. I will tell you they're very engaging reads. Every month I was excited to read it. I mean, I'm also a John Byrne lover. Yeah, a bit of a John Byrne apologist to some extent because I just I like his stuff. And the story with Wonder Woman is good, because Wonder Woman died and became a goddess and all this stuff, and her mom came in. And The thing that hampered that series was John Byrne trying to fix some continuity things. If he hadn't fooled around with that and just told good stories, it would have been fine. But he wanted to fix the Wonder Woman in the JSA piece, so that's what he did with Wonder Woman's mom. Hippolyta got transported back to World War II. And stayed there.
1: I think that's. I think that's a brilliant uh, way to sort of retcon what was going on. It was Hippolyta. But it was unnecessary. But that's. I think that falls on us as fans. And this was something I talked about with with Dan Jurgen when we did the interview with him. Yeah. You know, he was talking about Batmite, and he said that he had people come up to him during conventions and ask him, well, where does Batmite fall into continuity? And he said, you know, if you're thinking about that, you're not enjoying the comic for what it is. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to diss on people who enjoy continuity in their books, because you want to kind of have a cohesive storyline. But when you're so... Ingrained and focused on continuity being the one thing that you have to have in the book, and you're not enjoying the book for stories itself, then you're missing out, I think, on a lot of things. And I'm not the type of person who's married to continuity. I like to have it, but if something doesn't fit into something else and it's a good story, I'm willing to overlook it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that was, I think John got too fanboyish. I think he felt like he needed to plug that hole in the JSA. And as far as I was concerned, I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm not going to go back and reread those Golden Age comics anyway. I love the. JSA and you know what they were what they were whatever you know just let's not get too hampered down with the continuity changes of post-crisis not worry about it. But he went back, he fixed that. He also, there, there's this thing that writers have a fascination with fixing Donna Troy's history. I mean, how many times did Marv Wolfman write a who is Donna Troy, who is Troya? who is Wonder Girl, you know, whatever story. And it's all because, I mean, you know her, her real origin, right? Yeah. Okay. So we, we won't go over it. Just Google it, folks. Read Donna Troy's real origin uh, of in in the real world, the writers. And you'll go, what? Really? Bob Haney, damn you. And um, Zany Haney, And so that John felt the need to explore Donna's origins again. And that's where you get Dark Angel and you get all this other stuff. And so at the end of that, Donna Troy's memory was wiped. And she had no memory of who she... she I think she had the memories, but she had no emotional connection to it or something like that, and so there was nothing left for her and Kyle. Whatever. Um, yeah, and
1: that, that was something that actually... He started the, knocking the boots
0: with Jade, so good for him. Yeah,
1: well, uh, that was really fun, you know, because it, it, it was interesting that Kyle would have this relationship with Jade because Jade is obviously the daughter of the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alice yep. Scott. So that, that gave a more interconnectedness to the Green Lantern story, and it gave Kyle an end with not only the Golden Age Green Lantern, but it also set up a relationship that... That he could have with Jon Stewart, who was now no longer a green Lantern, And Guy who's was was, in a wheelchair, that's right. Yeah, he was for a while he was in a wheelchair because yo, know, he was injured. I'm trying to remember if it was during something. I don't something. Know. he was injured, but uh, Guy Gardner was also sort of since he didn't have a book, you know, he stole was the Boldarian thing, he had the mighty Morphin guy powers.
0: But, but he, he had Warriors
1: Bar. He had yeah. Warriors Bar. So this set up a really great family dynamic. And Kyle, this character who didn't have experience, who was learning on the job was able to fall back on all these these golden age characters and silver age characters for help who would be there that he could talk to and relate you know I've got these problems with Green Lantern I've got these problems with villains and everything and it it made it feel like a family book and yep. that was one of the things that I missed sort of from the modern Green Lantern books is this sort of family attitude we don't have these little personal downtime bids it's all action 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 and As fun as that is for a while, it gets tiring after a while. It's like, oh, it's the next event. Yeah. Oh, it's War of the the Red Lanterns. It's Rage of the green Lanterns. It's it's, uh, Threshold. It's, uh, you know, the Alpha Lanterns. You know, as fun as the action bits might be, and as big selling as they might be, I really enjoyed the times where it would be a story where it'd be Kyle, Alan, John, and Guy meeting in the bar and just talking shit.
0: Yep. You know, and, and and I didn't put this together till just now either, and somebody's going to scream and rage at their zonophone when I say it, but, you know, bringing in Alan, bringing in John, bringing in Guy, and all of that, as you described with Family Book, in some ways it was sort of mirroring what Mark Wade was doing on The Flash. Now, the comparison is where people are screaming, probably, because Fl- Mark Wade's Flash series is holier than now and, and incredible in... It was a great example of great, yes. great, way to write Comics, and and I'm not going to say the Green Lantern book was probably as good, but I, I did love it. Sean's making a face. I think he might punch me. But but you know, the the Flash book though was all about family. You had Jay. You had Jesse. You know, you had Max Mercury, you had Impulse, you had that speedster legacy history. With Kyle, they were doing the same thing. And I guess I never drew the analogy that Ron was probably trying to mirror some of, some of uh, Mark's success.
1: Yeah, that, would be, that wouldn't be out of the place. I I, yeah. I think it was a nice thing to to say, uh, with Kyle being the one and only Green Lantern in the entire universe now, that he would need a little bit more backup. When yep. you go from supposedly 3,600 or however many there were... Yeah, 3,600, you know, yep. You know, know, they even reduced it down because they said the rest of you can go off, you know, at issue 200 when the Guardians decide to go off and make Wubi with the Xamarin's or whatever. Good reason to leave. You know, uh, Kyle is having to take on this mantle and being the Green Lantern of the entire universe is a big thing. And having a sort of support base of all these heroes on Earth to fall back on was was a really great thing and I, I never really would have equated it to the Mark Wade series either but I think that's a good analogy yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I was pretty ticked off when they brought Hal back I mean admittedly his Spectre stories weren't that great the concept was strong the execution wasn't but the, the thing I did like about all that was when, after Hal was back and it all became about Hal, at least I liked the the label Kyle acquired of the Torchbearer. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. It was you know, the respect they showed.
1: Yeah, I I, I will admit, and I, I got this in an interview with Poe uh, Smith yeah. uh, talking with him. When Jeff Johns did go to rewrite the story, when he came to write Rebirth, Johns actually went to Bo Smith and asked him what he wanted to do with Guy Gardner, how should huh? he treat Guy Gardner, and he did the same thing with Kyle. He did not make Kyle a secondary character because you ob- say
0: that. Well, but... <laughs> obviously
1: Hal became the primary focus. Oh of yeah. But after a while, you got the Green Lantern Corps. Book. True. And that that was, I think, was the best thing they could have done for Kyle, you know, rather than shunt him off to nowhere. They gave him a sort of buddy cop feel with him and Guy, and I, I've i got to go, this is one of the sort of blind spots for me. I have not read the Green Lantern Corps thing, because I was kind of out of comics at the time. Yeah. And I need to go pick those up, because the idea of my two favorite Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, and a sort of buddy cop story, I've read, like, the first couple issues of... Uh, Recharge, and I've really enjoyed them, and I just need to go pick pick the rest of the stuff up and start reading it, because it's... Did,
0: didn't Sinestro Core War start not too long into that series, or am I mistaken? I'm
1: thinking it started around the teens. Okay. Of, so they had a uh, whole year. All right. Yeah, it had at least a year. I think it was in the 20s or so of uh, Green Lantern, the Green Lantern proper issues. Okay. But Sinestro Core War was a great storyline, and...
0: Well, the reason I mention that is because then Green Lantern Core stopped being, like, a Kyle story and became more about the whole Sinestro battles and yeah. all that.
1: One of the things I think
0: Johns wanted to do
1: is he had a really long term plan for Rand. Yeah. He had an idea of these multicolored cores, and it was, I don't know, well, okay, I'll take that back. I don't know if he had a plan for the multicolored cores, yeah. but I know he at least had a plan for a yellow core, and that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, having having one villain of Sinestro having a yellow ring was nice, but when you've got one yellow ring versus 3,600... Neocreen rings. Right, that's pretty outclassed. Mm. And who's to say that Astro isn't going to make more and start up its own war? That was a brilliant idea. But, you know, uh, from then, Kyle went on, and they moved in the mid-52, oh.
0: and... Well, I'm going to say one thing about Sinestro. Okay. Another thing I liked about that story was, uh, the way Johns wrote it at the time, was Sinestro's whole objective was to make the Green Lantern Corps better. That's why he made the the Yellow Corps, because he wanted to improve. It was, it was out of his dedication to the Green Corps mm-hmm. that he did this, which is like, wow, that's a pretty cool, bizarre thing.
1: I wasn't really aware of that, but that makes sense. That makes sense, because I... Do. I think Johns writes Sinestro as sort of an anti-hero, and you can kind of see that in the Sinestro book. Right now, what's happening with that is Sinestro, because of, what is it, Lost Army,
0: Oh, hell, uh, all I dude. I stopped years ago with Green Lantern.
1: All the Green Lanterns, except for Hal, who isn't technically using his ring, he's using some sort of gauntlet or something. I'm not reading it. Because yeah, <laughs> <and>, comics. <laughs> yes, because comics. Sinestro is now the main core, and the, the Sinestro core is the main core in the universe. So he's recruiting more and more people.
0: So he's got the yellow ring again? Yeah, he's got the yellow okay. ring
1: and supposedly Sinestro has started up the Manhunters again. The Manhunter robot. Now okay. this I think this could go an interesting way. This could either be Sinestro's ego taking hold too hard too heartily and him trying to think that he can Properly do the Manhunters where the Guardians couldn't, okay. and it'll be interesting to see what what happens out. But another thing, they've also got the new Fifty Two Lobo. In, well, in I the got Green canceled. That's
0: got canceled already. Okay, well, good, because
1: yeah. I'm I'm not down with
0: Yeah, I'm not too. I you know it's interesting. Like so, the way this fell out, Kyle had the New Guardians mm-hmm. where he was the White Lantern. Is that yes. right? So what was what was a White Lantern like? A, a White I, Lantern. I, I read Brightest Day, uh, and it was real ambiguous. Essentially, he
1: has the the one that tap in to tap into any of the emotional spectrums that he wants. If he wants to tap into Violet, if he wants to tap into uh, Indigo, if he wants okay. to tap into Green, if he wants to tap into Rage, he can do any of that. So he has the ability to use any spectrum color that he wants to. So it's not
0: about life anymore, which is what it was in Brightest Day.
1: I guess not. Okay. Um, now again, I haven't been reading the modern stuff as well, but this is what I get from you know, this this is more the purvey of Chad Bulgum and Mark Marble, so if you okay. check that out on Linux. Like, but
0: nowadays I like, I like how you mumbled that. Yeah, Lan- Lantern cast. It's that other Green Lantern show.
1: You know, actually it's the superior Green Lantern show that's still going on. So <laughs> if you want Green Lantern knowledge and information, go check out the Lanterncast.
0: Little Chad Bokelman, friend of the Fire and Water Podcast.
1: But right now, what's happening with Kyle is after they brought forward this new you or the the not the, the DC the
0: It's DCU. You
1: know, what they've done is Kyle's mm-hmm. book. Both uh, Red Lanterns and New Guardians and even Green Lantern Corps got canceled. Okay. So now there's only Green Lantern, which is following Hal with no ring and the gauntlet thing. He's dressed in a hoodie and whatever. He's got long hair, too, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got long hair. He's, he, <laughs> he's well, so
0: 90s. He, he, he's, he's
1: grunge. Well, I and mean, that's, that's again, coming back to the whole thing. He's, he's trying to be Kyle Rayner and long hair and kind of hippie and everything. But um, Kyle has been relegated to... Who knows where? Nowhereville? Uh, yes, the last place that I saw Kyle Rayner was uh, in a pr- promo when they did those things for the New U for the Omega Man, <laughs> and supposedly he was being held like hostage. They oh. had him in this chair, and they were getting ready to torture him. And of course, he made some sort of comment to Carol Ferris because now Carol Ferris and Kyle Rayner are a thing. Well what? Yeah, it happened all in New Guardians. I don't know. What happened get to
0: it. Sonora or whatever yeah. the Well S so, Yeah, her too. Both of them. <laughs> That's Sinestro's daughter. Right, I knew that. Spoilers. She, uh, she is uh you know,
1: she is currently in the Sinestro title as a yellow lantern.
0: Okay. And she inspires great fear? Sure, why not? <laughs> Okay, so it sounds like uh, Kyle's hanging out with Firestorm because neither one of them have a home right now in, in DC. Yeah, and that's
1: a disappointing. Thing. You know, Kyle Rayner is a is a really interesting character. I think he's had a lot of development. They build him up to be the one person who can handle any ring in the universe. We've seen we've seen John and Guy and Hal you know do different rings, but it messes up there. It messes me. Kyle's the only one who's capable enough to handle all (laughs) of them.
0: But they've decided to shunt his character off wherever. I'm going to make a prediction. You know when people look back in the 90s, and they say all 90s comics sucked, right? And they blame the art. And they, you know when they point to the 90s, the examples that come up are image and things like that. Yeah. Old and right. the old and all that. In about 20 years, when people are making fun of the early 2000s comics, or the or the 2010s, or whatever you want to call it, I think they're going to point to the colored lanterns. I think that's going to they're going to call it Skittles lanterns, or rainbow lanterns, or whatever they're going the column. I think, you know, at the time those stories were really engaging, but now that I've had some separation from it, I look back and think, oh, they were going, they were out of control with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think when they, I think we will look back historically and laugh at the, the multicolored lanterns. I think Jeff Johns
1: would have just kept it with the yellow core. Yeah. If it would have been yellow and green, and kept it Sinestro and the green lantern, and they would have done that, that would have been fine. When they try and put in the entire emotional spectrum, like, yeah. blue is hope, and violet is love, and you know, indigo is what Whatever. Hell? Quirky. <laughs> uh, indigo is, yo know, hipster. I don't know. <laughs>
0: You're so mean to hipsters. Oh,
1: they can go suck back
0: in. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, I, want, I want to live in Portland. I love these people. Oh, uh, well, okay. Uh, but I, I aspire to be a hipster douchebag. Well,
1: you got to grow out your beard till it's easy top level. <laughs> Stop wearing um, deodorant. That's true. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to see Kyle come back, and I, I don't think the 90s, uh, they've actually started, I know someone started another new podcast, yes. that 90s 90s retrial? Yeah, 90s, 90s retrial. That's right.
0: It's, a, it's a, I wouldn't call it a spinoff of The Secret Origins, but it's one of the guys who's helped Ryan with several episodes of The Secret Origins is doing it.
1: I, I'm going to go check that out. Because, I am too. You know, there are some really great things, especially in DC in the 90s. DC, I think, was firing on all cylinders in the 90s. They weren't trying to chase Image. They weren't trying to be... Uh, it's extreme justice. Okay, I will give you extreme justice. <laughs> I will give you that. But you look at stories like the Tim Drake drop. Yes. You look at stories like Kyle Rayner. You even go to Chuck Dixon writing Green Arrow, trying to write yep. some of those stories. The Grant Morrison and JLA. Yeah. I know some people are down on Grant Morrison. I will put those Grant yeah, Those were good. I would put those Grant Morrison stories in JLA as some of the better Justice League issues, and they're very clever and they're very well written. So
0: it's the first time the the Big Seven had been respected in years as a team.
1: And and as much as I like the Giffen D. DeMatteis Justice League, right. And as fun as that could be, Morrison took respect with these characters, and Morrison actually helped sort of cement the idea of Kyle, cement the character of Kyle,
0: as much as Ron Morris did. I love that there's one bit in a Grand Morrison issue of Justice League, and Wally and Kyle went to, I think it was to Ray Palmer, and they were talking to him, and I just where Kyle was drinking out of a soda cup, like a, like a fountain drink, whatever. Anyway, and I saw Adam says something along the lines of like, hey, I saw you referred to in the paper the other day, and they didn't call you the new Lantern. So you're, you're coming into your own, Kyle. And I just thought that was a great bit.
1: It's the, it's the writers treating the character with respect. You know, a lot, of, a lot of fans at the time never treated Kyle with a lot of respect because he was following the legacy of Hal Jordan. And,
0: Should you mention Heat?
1: Uh, I, I try not to mention Heat because that was really... I don't like it when internet gets nasty. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really hate about like Facebook as well. Is like Everything has to be absolutely perfect or it's not. And you can't have things that are just good. Kyle Rayner was a good character. Yep. He was fun. He was engaging. He was different. And the writers did not hate (laughs) Hal Jordan. The writers wanted—if they, they could have had Hal Jordan in the book, they would have. But editorial just butts it.
0: Well, the book wasn't selling, so they wanted to change. So that's why Kyle got created. But and, and I don't want to dwell on this. But what, what Sean sort of dancing around—if you don't know what Heat was—essentially it was just the negative online reaction to re- replacing Hal. So it became a really nasty debate between fans that liked Kyle and fans that liked Hal.
1: Yeah, and if you didn't know, Heat stood for—initially, I think it stood for. Howl's Emerald Attack Team. Oh my gosh! And and then of course you know because they didn't want to have an attack, they they sort of softened it to Howl's Emerald Advancement Team.
0: I think. Okay. So. Well, let's not dwell on it too much because because uh, this will turn into an argument on which side had more merit, and I don't want that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think
0: both sides have merit. You know, you shut up, will you? You. I just said we don't want to talk about it, that piece done, of it. Done it. Done. Oh my gosh! God, bald-headed this guy. Sorry. <laughs> You're apologizing now. Look at that. So so Kyle's nowhere right now. Yeah, and, and Now I'm going to sound like an old fuddy-duddy. I'm going to sound like a Dan DiDio. I think they need to bring him back to the iconic status of, and that would be Kyle's iconic status, of being a GL. Not a white Lantern, not a goofy colored Lantern. And I would say Hal, should, if, if they're going to do Hal, he should probably just be a regular Green Lantern rather than long-haired, you know, hoodie-wearing gauntlet boy, like you said, that era where they had Kyle, John, Hal, and Guy were all Green Lanterns together. Shortly after rebirth, you know what? It, it, that, that's sort of the default setting nowadays. That's what they should return to, probably. I think the cachet
1: of Jeff Johns leaving the issues, or Jeff's, Jeff Johns leaving the Green Lantern book, definitely did a lot to diminish the Green Lantern sort of feel. The Green, yep. Green Lantern ethos i guess in sales yes <laughs> so and as much as you know the creators of colin bond and oh i'm, I'm trying to remember who's writing and it's not really tan but i'm trying to, the the guys who are writing no green lantern books right now as much as they're trying to do interesting things it's just it's not working out i think green lantern won't go through a slump much like a bunch of other titles right now dc is struggling Oh, yeah. struggling to find a direction. And I know they'll eventually find direction because they've gone through slumps like this before. They've gone through eras where their books haven't been doing as well as they've wanted to. And eventually they will get writers on who have ideas for directions for the character, who have uh, ideas for ways to make the characters interesting again, and who have ideas to make the readers excited about the books again. It's just going to take time. DC will fix this. But it might take a little while before it gets completely back and running, in the way that'll help, uh, in the way that'll make it enjoyable for old people and.
0: Yeah, and I mean Aquaman's going through a similar slump right now. Hopefully, they'll find some way to salvage that. I mean, they they will, because I mean, you think about it. DC has a plan for movies. They've got plans for an Aquaman movie. They've got plans for a Green Lantern movie. So they're going to get their titles back on track before the movies come out. It's just. They'll figure it out. They're a big enough corporation.
1: Yeah, you know, if they need to sort of work the Marvel thing and try and make the movies or make the books more like the movies and yeah. kind of incorporate things like that. And I'm hoping, you know, I've seen the the, the Batman and Superman thing. I've seen the trailer, the second trailer of that. I'm I'm kind of positive. I'm significantly more positive than I was when I saw that first trailer where I was like, oh, that's really dark. I don't need yeah. Batman and Superman. Superman looks like he's trying to do some super feats and help people. That's what I want to see in a Superman movie. That's what I want to see in a Green Lantern in a Green Lantern movie. I want to see, you know, them in outer space busting up. I want to see him playing Space Cop. I want to see a lot of more ring construct stuff. And That was one of the things I didn't like about the 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 Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. Movie. Gosh, we doing that? And we don't have to. But, you know once again. What would have made the Ryan Reynolds screenwriter movie better if Ryan Reynolds was playing Kyle Rayner? He was
0: playing Kyle Rayner. Well, and see, his name was Hal, though. And that's
1: that's the thing that that messed it up. It should have been Kyle Rayner. They should have done it. They should have done the post Emerald Twilight. and Kyle just finds the ring in that sort of way and played it like that. But no, they had. It was Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns, Jeff yeah. Johns. And I'm not blaming Jeff Johns. You
0: just did three times, but.
1: Well, okay, I am kind of blaming Jeff Johns because they focused too heavily on his stuff. Greenlander has had a history now of 75 years. Yep. They can pull from Green or history more than just...
0: You didn't need the Parallax, movie. The Cloud, right? No, you
1: didn't need Parallax. You know, Hector Hammond. Hector Hammond was a good villain. He was played by a good actor. Yep. You had Amanda Waller there. Now, granted, it was... Uh, oh, I, I can't remember who played her, but...
0: It's the Splenda version of. Uh, yeah, she,
1: she was definitely she was definitely the ultra hot version. It, of, uh, yes, Amanda Waller, uh, Waller. Angela Bassett. She's,
0: she's a third of Amanda Waller in yeah, so size. She, though.
1: She, first of all, I will not complain about Angela Bassett because she's extremely hot. <laughs> but um, you know they should have kept it small for the first one. Move up to Parallax. Uh, again, I've probably said this before on my shows. If they wanted to do a Green Lantern origin story with Hal, they should have adapted Emerald Dawn.
0: Yeah,
1: I would Because it was a simple story, it didn't have any overarching deals. You brought Sinestro in, and yep. you didn't have him you know, turning evil or anything. It could have worked. And you could have set up the next
0: movie to be Emerald Dawn 2 in a back bath in some way did, well I don't know if you do, do Emerald Dawn 2 as a movie because that story wasn't as strong but um, have you seen the Deadpool trailer yes I have did you catch the thing Ryan Reynolds says uh, don't give me an animated suit oh and don't make it green mm-hmm. I didn't get that at first
1: I, I completely got that was I, the first thing I was like oh okay that understand. was a really
0: nice dig really nice dig we'll have to see what they do with the, so I, as I hear the, the Green Lantern movie is going to be a buddy cop movie
1: Yes, they supposedly it's not... They haven't released the title of Green Lantern Corps, yeah. but they've kind of said the concept. It's going okay. to be Green Lantern Corps, which I'm fine with. Probably I Hal
2: and
0: John. Wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't mind seeing Hal and John. I wouldn't mind seeing John Stewart in the role. I think that would be great. You know, uh, Obviously, for a lot of people, uh, a lot of millennials, John Stewart is the Green Lantern, right. because they're the one they know most from the Justice League. So I would be more than happy with that. And if they want to bring in Guy... As a secondary character, or bring in Kyle as a secondary character, too, that would be great. There is no reason they can't do this. They've got dozens, they've got literally 3,600 3, characters that they could take from and do stories about, and they're having to focus on how.
0: It's going to be Chip all the time.
1: Oh, I would so love the Chip and Bitch, or Batch. <laughs> And Doctor Ubix as well. He, there you go. There's one for you, Rob Kelly. Enjoy,
0: do, enjoy Doctor Rubik's. <laughs> I think we're going to probably close out the topic here. That sounds good. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Sean. It I was appreciate- great. It was great
1: getting a chance to meet you. I, you know, I'm sorry you had to come to Oklahoma City to meet me, <laughs> but you know, that's uh, eventually, eventually we will work out. I'm certain. Disney is going to have another Star Wars weekend or they're going to have another celebration in Orlando yep. and we'll get with all the people and we'll come down to Orlando and actually have a big meet up there. That'd be, fun. be,
0: be fun. That'd be fun. Well, I'm, I'm glad, you know, the life of a door-to-door vacuum salesman uh, is, is a strange, strange life but I'm glad it brought me to Oklahoma City for this opportunity. Wow. So, tell people at home where they can find you.
1: Well, right now they can find me at the Two True Freaks Network. I do a couple of shows over there. The one that I mainly do is uh, Listen to the Prophets which is a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast with Andy Leyland and Paul Spitaro, the two better hosts on the show who are doing awesome shows over there, two true freaks. We cover every episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine from the very beginning. It's the redheaded stepchild of the Star Trek universe and we particularly love it. I think it's the best.
0: I also, do, it's not as bad as Voyager. So I mean, come on.
1: Well, Luke jacknetty has a thing for Voyager, but Luke jacknetty has a thing for Hawkman as well. So Luke Jack Luke Jack Luke Jack likes even more than me. With uh, Guy Gardner Warrior, likes to take these sort of outlying characters and champion them. So I give a lot of credit for him. if he can champion Voyager more power to it. Jack and Eddie. Plus, I also do a show called Who Truth Freaks, which Shag may know a little bit about. Never heard of it. Uh, it's about Doctor Who because God knows we need more Doctor Who podcasts on the internet. I do, uh, the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which, uh, I do along with Chris Honeywell, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, and them Jack and Eddie boys, Luke and Jason Jack and Eddie and we cover all things horror over there. Plus, once it gets back to going, I should be doing, uh, Walking Dead Wednesday over that. Plus, uh, Finally, and this is going to be wrapping up pretty soon, I do a show called Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast with uh, Michael Bradley, where we cover every aspect of the Tangent Universe, the uh, sort of fifth-week event that came out in 1997 that featured comic characters with uh, very familiar names but very different uh, backgrounds and uh, other things. It's getting late. I'm not speaking well.
0: And you can go check out back episodes of Just One of the Guys. Which went 180 episodes or something like that? Technically, I
1: think it ended out around 190 plus specials. Okay. Emerald Dawn. Right. Interviews and stuff like that. But yes, Just One of the Guys was one of the shows that I did where I decided that I had to champion my two favorite Freelaners, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, and cover the uh, 90s versions of them. And that kind of led to this discussion that we had tonight.
0: Yep. So, well, thanks again, Sean, for being on the show. In brightest day, in in blackest blackest
1: night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's light beware my power, green lantern's light.